Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Little Egypt Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Hefferman. <laughs> Thank you, boys. And with me today is uh, sports writer Bucky Dent and Les, sports editor Les Winkler. So uh, easy, easy for him to say. Another another happy Friday to everyone. The the fall is here, ninety degrees, but it could be a hundred. Um, going back out to SIU football practice this afternoon. They just started on Wednesday. Uh, full pads, I think, are on Sunday. That's when it really gets fun. But uh, prep football starting August twelfth. They get two weeks to get ready. I've always thought that was maybe not enough time because you're thinking pros get more time than that to get ready, but they do get the 20-some contact days that they usually use in July. Is two weeks, is that something they should look at, you think? My my issue is that I, I'd like to see the contact days go away. I'd like, to see the, I'd like to see that go away and let the kids play Legion baseball, let them do whatever they want to do in the summer, let them be kids for a couple of weeks, or you know, have, have that after school, let that go, and then start practice a week, 10 days earlier, and just put it at the front of the season. I mean, I, I don't I, – I would I would like to see – because, I mean, they had the two-a-days and stuff too. You know, maybe you could get by with that because this is usually the most horrendous time of the year in terms of temperature. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, put it, on the, put it on the beginning of the season. Uh, this is a beside the point, but uh, chop a week of the playoffs off, get rid of the, the five and four uh, – uh, qualification, make it six and three, and I think you've got a better product all the way around. One thing I was I was kind of wondering about, and you touched on it, you know, with uh, kids playing Legion ball this time of the year, maybe wanting to be kids and go see relatives or friends out of state or whatever. Um, Jason Roper brought this up to me last year when I was interviewing him about his Massac County team. And I delved into the subject of why numbers are getting smaller at some places for football. And he brought up just the point you made about putting, pulling kids in three and four different directions in July. You know, and maybe that's, that's the way maybe the IHSA should think about doing this is just take away your, 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 your 20 extra days in the summer and maybe start practice like August 1st instead of August 12th. You know, have a scrimmage game or an exhibition game, something you can sell tickets, make a little money at, or whatever, like they do in some other states. And you might see a better product earlier in the season than you do when you only have, say, 13 or 14 days to get ready for your first game. And in some cases, like Murphy and Carbondale, it's the rivalry game, and you're playing it right off the bat. Yeah, when, when my daughter was in high school, <clears throat> she was a three-sport athlete. She was also during her, one of the, one of the summers. She was also taking college prep classes at SIC. Her day would start by going to class at seven thirty a.m. She would stay in class till about eleven. She would have volleyball practice in the afternoon, basketball practice in the late afternoon. Come home in time for us to grab a Schwann's dinner or a, a drive-through someplace and go to a summer softball game. Get home at eleven. Get to bed at eleven, eleven thirty at night, and get up the next morning and do the whole thing over again. I mean, it was. I mean, it's ridiculous. She had she had no time to hang out with her friends. She had no time to go to the pool or what you know whatever it is that kids at that age did at that time. It was just everything was just <clears throat> every day was scheduled full, and it's. I, I don't blame kids for not playing. 
I, I, I agree. The, the contact days is a tricky situation. I remember Nashville <clears throat> used to hold one week towards the end of July where they wouldn't allow any of their coaches to use it. Um, and, and you think about, you know, 20 days out of June and July doesn't seem that bad, but that's, a, that's if you're only playing one sport. That's pretty rare nowadays. Um, so, like, your daughter was playing several sports at the time. Um, but I, I worry about if you start football practice earlier, I worry about the physicality of it because you're talking about the most physical sport we have. I mean, these people can, can tear, their, tear their knees up uh, one day and uh and be out for the season um now there are other sports that do that too but i I wonder two weeks may be the nice the nice medium uh or maybe they do need to do longer but i worry if they did do three weeks or or 20 20 days as 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 bucky's suggesting and i think there are schools that do that uh, in other states um i think that may be too long i know virginia does it that way yeah the east coast east coast generally some tennessee schools have already started practice because they will play like some of them will start up. I believe are starting as early as August twenty third this year. So by rule in Tennessee, you're allowed to start practice on the fourth Monday before your first game, which in that case would have been July 29th. You know. Yeah, and I think I think if we're going to be perfectly honest, these contact days are to assuage the coaches' conscience or to keep them from feeling guilty because. You cannot tell me, or the, the, the notion that uh, 16, 17, 18, 19-year-old kids' skills will erode from not touching a basketball for three or three months is pure, unmitigated BS. If, at that age, at that age you're, you're very malleable. Your, your skills, you're, you're going you're gonna to be doing physical stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. And study after study after study has shown that... Uh, uh, Concentration on one sport it creates injuries, it creates overuse injuries. I read an article the other day. I, I can't remember. I think it was an ESPN, or it was one of the one of the big athletic magazines, where kids are developing their muscles. The basketball players are developing their muscles to the extent that they can jump so high that the other muscles and their joints aren't capable of handling the impact when they land. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we're you know this is ridiculous. We're, we're we're not we're not supposed to be creating uh, professionals at that level. They're supposed to be. It's supposed to be an extension of the classroom. So let's keep it in perspective a little bit. That's I'm off my soapbox now. <laughs> Especially being 2019, we know so much about the human body right. and how more you can than develop we ever that. have. Yeah, I mean honestly, I mean the the new equipment they have, the analytics, the studies, the type of film they have, and. Um, that is uh, that is a concern, but uh, so football practice will start pretty soon. Who you know? Who do you think you would be the Southern Illinois' best teams uh, this year? <clears throat> kind of hard to say right now. Um, I, I find the Murfreesboro situation intriguing this year, in that it's kind of a flip of where it was last year, where they had all kinds of experienced linemen returning and. Maybe not as much experience in the backfield, but because the line was so experienced, the the running backs had terrific seasons, and Murfreesboro got to the second round. This year, they have almost every back that was important to them last year returning, including a 1,000-yard uh, rusher and Desmond Clark and Jake Hoppenstead, who I believe got near or two 1,000 yards. They also have two quarterbacks of significant game experience back, but I believe they only returned one starting offensive lineman. 
And in a wing T offense where you have to have coordination with your lineman, the amount of trapping and pulling that offense does, you know, having an inexperienced line, even with experienced backs, that could create a little bit of an issue. That's going to be really interesting to see how they come out of the gate. And in the same conference, one of the, one of the area's marquee players, Connor Eaton, is back to lead, uh, to lead West Frankfurt again, quarterback. Uh, he's, he's, he's a weapon with his, with his legs and his arm. Uh, and uh, they, they lost some people around him, but I think they've also got some, uh, some good people back. So they, that'll be an interesting team to watch. You know, Madison Allen's gone, so they're going to have to find a running back to, uh, uh, to be the guy. And, and with Eaton there, I would anticipate being the role of the, uh, of the running back in that type of offense that they run is pretty much like a free pass to close to 1,000 yards as long as you get any kind of blocking in front of you because every defense that they face will be focusing maximum attention on Connor Eaton. Yeah, because he's very capable of tucking the ball under and going 80 yards himself. So Right. You know, so you got that. You know, the Carbondale is going to be interesting for me because they lost a lot of seniors off their best team in a while. They do have some good players coming back, but who's going to replace Jakeba Burley under quarter, at quarterback? A.J. has lost a lot of valuable seniors, but then again, they did that last year. Had a couple losses in which they were close, but couldn't quite figure out how to finish games and then won eight straight. So don't discount Brett Dietering's ability to get them rolling, even with some inexperienced parts. SIU is full go right now, and then uh, they're going to play 12 games, uh, seven of them on the road. Uh, four of their first five games are on the road, even though their first game is just at SEMO. Uh, We're going to learn a lot about the Salukis early. Um, what do you uh, what do you look at? What are you looking for their next quarterback? Less uh, knowing they have Corey Lyles, Nick Baker, and Stone Lebonowitz. One of those three is probably going to win the job. You know, I'm 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 more curious in in rather than the individual quarterback is how they're going to build their offense. Uh, the Salukis have been a big strike team in in recent years. They've you know they they try to score quickly and get up, and, but their their defense has struggled. And if you're going to be that quick strike team, you better have a doggone good defense because that defense is going to spend a lot of time on the field because you may only have the football offensively for three or four plays. And you know if if your if your offense is only on the team for uh, the length of a hockey shift. Your defense is going to have to be pretty doggone good, and there were times last year, and, and they were decimated by injuries. Uh, it's it's not that they were. It's not like they were the steel curtain or the doomsday defense to start with, and then the injuries uh, had them playing people who were like five, six on the depth chart early in the year. So it, it was just a, a bad combination. But I would I would really like personally knowing how the offense struggled, and granted they got some good kids back. But I would like to see them build an offense that's capable of, of keeping the ball for a while. I, I think that would make them a much better team. And, boy, they've got a good start in D.J. Davis. That, that kid can play. I mean, for, for no bigger than he is, he picks up. He reminds me a lot of um, Archie Whitlock. Whitlock, had, Whitlock wasn't a big guy, but if there were three yards to get on a play, he would get three and a half, maybe four. Uh, he, he gets what's there, and he, but he's also capable of breaking a tackle and getting a lot more. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I see some of the elements as far as being an all-purpose back, but what, what I liked about our key was he was a little bit shorter than DJ, even a little bit thicker. He could he could do some short yardage work, whereas I think DJ they they always you know they always pulled to Jonathan Mixon, right. um, <clears throat> and this year you know I don't see they have a lot. They have a fullback, but they don't really have a lot of short yardage backs unless you want to call 
uh, Javon Williams. Um, they they have a freshman, uh, Tremaine Lee, uh, that that uh, participated last year but didn't lose a year of eligibility. And then they recruited a guy from Warren Central High School, which is where Jewel Hampton came from. Uh, Romir Elliott supposed to be pretty good. And so they've they'll be they'll be young as far as their experience, but I think the I think they can use all four of those guys. Well, my my one of the items on my bucket list now is to see an SIU fullback actually carry the football again. <laughs> I, yeah, I, since I, John Good is gone, yeah, they, they've, I, they've really struggled to the, do that. The, the, the last time an SIU footback, uh, fullback carried the ball, I still had hair and it was red. So. <laughs> <laughs> They should. They should have. I think they have to be a run-oriented. And I think I said this in the paper recently. I think they have to be a run-oriented, defensive-oriented team more than they have been. You know, they have their first thousand-yard rusher in six years, seven years. uh, Last year with DJ Davis, Um, he's more than capable of doing that again. They may split up the the carries a little bit more uh, with him and and Javon. um, I, I think. No, but I think they've got to be a better defensive. Javon team. Williams is an intriguing, intriguing player. Uh, he's yeah, he's intriguing. he's he's big, and I mean you you could use him uh, a lot like uh, Matt DeSomer last year. I, I mean he's he played quarterback in high school. He's obviously capable of throwing the football, but uh, his his best attribute is probably his size and his speed. So it it will be fascinating to watch his career unfold at SIU. Uh, first game is that uh, last Thursday in August uh, at SEMO. They are playing Thursday night, and then uh, they go to UMass the following week. So that'll be uh, be an interesting start. But so, uh, as we talk about football starts, we're talking about the end of baseball for the Southern Illinois Miners coming down the stretch run here. Um, just a couple of games out of the playoffs right now. They still have a, they have a huge home stretch at the end. Fifteen of their last twenty one, I believe, are at home. Uh, starting pretty soon. Uh, do you think that will propel them in? That they'll, uh, they've, they've always been a good home team. They have been a good home team. They won 2 of 3 from Joliet this week after taking 2 of 3 from the league's best team, Florence, last weekend. Before that, they really haven't been very consistent for about a month. And I don't know if they quite have it. And I only say that because I'm not certain what their offense is going to provide from night to night. They have stretches. Like this week, for instance, they score eight against Joliet. Then they score two and lose. Then they score nine and win. They're averaging 4.4 runs a game, which doesn't sound bad on the surface. Except that 4.4 runs a game includes 20 games in which they have been held to three runs or less. Or under three runs, I mean, and it is hard to win consistently in any league when you're held under three runs 20 times in 60 something games. That's the problem they have to solve down the home stretch. I think the pitching, particularly the starting side, is going to be good enough to hold up, particularly when they get Steven Ridings back. I think the rotation is going to be solid. Even with the losses the bullpen sustained this week, Benjamin Dunn being signed by the Twins. Jake Godfrey going on the injured list. The bullpen's pretty good at this point, but they have to score runs consistently on offense. And that's going to be the bottom line that determines if they make it back to the playoffs or if they're uh, going home after the game on September 1st. You know, this, <clears throat> the minor, one of the things that um, Mike Pennell's proudest of is the number of people that have signed with affiliated teams. And I think only three 
I think only three players signed this year, if I'm correct. Yeah, Dumb was the third one. <clears throat> right, but but this year it seems like it seems like the signings have come at taking the worst possible people at the worst possible times. Yeah. Um, Brian Flade was uh, he was a guy I would go pay to watch. He was just the, the bat was like a wand, a magic wand in his hand. If he got two strikes, you could just bet he was going to flick the ball to the opposite field and get a hit. And he just he just had a knack, and losing him. Created a huge void in their in, in their lineup. They're still looking for a leadoff hitter. <clears throat> exactly, mm-hmm. and uh, you know Durazo the closer, and now and now Dumb. It's just uh, I, I don't know. It, it just seems like this year it's kind of hamstrung them more than it has in the past. And Pino pointed this out last month when they lost Flete on July fourth of all days when the Reds signed him. It was right before the All Star break. They had to play a man short, and they also had injuries. So at that time. They couldn't even afford to get somebody ejected from a game because they weren't sure they're going to be able to replace them. <laughs> you know, they've been they've been bringing in a revolving door of personnel now over the last week or two. Some hits, some misses, some too early to tell. And it's going to be some of the newer guys that have come in, like a Taylor Sparks, like a Colton Pogue, and the acquisition they apparently made late last night. They traded for the Windy City shortstop Omar Obregon, who's a decent hitter but has only made one error this year. They really are looking to shore up that shortstop position that Flete occupied so well. So that's going to be the uh, one of the things to watch for in the last month. Can some of the newbies help them make up those two and a half games they need to uh, pick up over Schaumburg and to a lesser extent River City to jump over both of them to be in a playoff position? Well, as we talked about off, I feel like one of these baseball guys now. What we talked about off, off camera, off camera. <laughs> yeah, off camera. So who are you, uh, Peter Gammons? <laughs> am, so, I, am I supposed to be uh, Ken Rosenthal here or something? Yeah. Or? Well, you got you do have a bow tie on. I, I can say that since there's no camera. But but they they only have to make up a couple of games. But everything is so bunched up that they got to leapfrog a bunch of teams to do it at the same time. Which complicates things a little bit. There's there there's plenty of time, but it's also getting to the point where uh, they can't screw around too long. It's it's going to get critical pretty quick. And the other thing to point out here is they have finished with their games with River City for the year. That's one of the teams they have to climb. The other team directly ahead of them is Schaumburg, who they play here next weekend. So they have to take advantage of those games with the Boomers. No question about that. Fifteen of the last twenty-one at home is nice. That includes two series at the Evansville, which is a playoff team at the moment. Um, the only road games in that stretch will be weekend trips to Joliet and Washington, which are both out of the playoff picture but can play the role of spoiler. So the schedule definitely is in the minors' favor. It's just going to be a matter, as we said, of finding ways to score runs to support what on paper should be good starting pitching and a decent bullpen. And as of right now, their fate is in their own hands. So that's That counts for a lot. They gotta, they gotta do it. You gotta do it. So they, uh, they've struggled to score runs. Cubs are st- struggling to score runs. Raise your hand if you thought the St. Louis Cardinals would be in first place on August second. Notice how neither Les or I's hand is is in the air on that one. Mine either. Mine either. By the way. Yeah. But they, but they are. Game, but, but they are. And but, uh, Cubs are hopefully gonna pull within a half game here by beating the Brewers. But, they, but the, there's only one division in the National League where they would be in first place, too. Let, let, let's keep some perspective on this. They, they, play, they would be... It's a playoff berth you, just you know, the same. They, they wouldn't be within a par five of the Dodgers. I mean, they'd be like 15, uh, what was it, 14 games back, something like that, in, in the West. And I, granted, you got to get you got to get in, and that's the first start. And, and 
you know, the opportunity is there because of the division they're in. But, uh, I, you know what, I, I <clears throat> give, give me the Cubs or the Cardinals and I'm not real comfortable going into the playoffs thinking that I'm going to be playing some somewhere in November or late in October. I, I just don't see either team as – of course, you get in, anything can happen. Yeah, just look at the uh, 2011 Cardinals, the 2006 Cardinals. I mean, I can go on and on with stories of teams that really shouldn't have been all that close to even making it in the playoffs, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in the World Series. You know, stuff happens. People play differently in the postseason. We were talking about the randomness of, of, of games and stats and everything else that goes on. I can be 0 for 20 against you, and you can jam me at the fastball, and I shatter my bat, and I bloop it in the left field, and I beat you 2 to 1. Does that make you any less of a pitcher or me any better of a hitter? No. That's the way. That's the wonderful thing about baseball. Anything can happen. You can't run out the clock in baseball. Earl Weaver said you got to throw the ball over the plate and give the other guy his chance. Of course, he just said it a lot more colorfully than I can on here, but that's another story. <laughs> it, it has turned into at least a three-team race instead of a five-team race. Um, you know, Cincinnati and Pittsburgh were close right around the All-Star break. Now, now Cincinnati's seven and a half games back. Pittsburgh's eleven. Uh, they're not coming back. All they're that. good for is fighting each other the last couple months of the season. They're <laughs> yeah. going to have several more chances to do that. Yeah, how about maybe how, they'll bring Puig back for a rematch? Right? <laughs> that that guy taking on the whole team. That was uh, you know that what? was a, that was a particularly type of stupid. But you know that what? That you don't see every day. I, I, there's, there's also a part of me that is, okay, stupid, yeah, granted. I, I, I'll give it to you. But you know what? That took, a, that took some nerve. I mean, he's not he's not pointing fingers at somebody and hiding behind three big guys. He's like, bring it on, man. Let's do it. He, he was holding his own for a little while. <laughs> Put it this way. Anytime, any, as long as he's with the Reds or if he gets traded to another team, Every guy in that clubhouse will respect him for what he did. Yeah. If nothing else, he will have the respect of everybody on his team at that time just for that action alone. Even though it may not have been the wisest thing in the world, he'll have their respect. And now it's time for me to tee up Todd Hefferman for something here that he was ranting about a few minutes ago. We were talking about this. We saw where the state of Illinois has joined forces with the St. Louis Cardinals to provide special Cardinals license plates. And Todd, (laughs) who who is, we shall say this, Todd is is an out-and-out Cubs fan. So let's just go ahead and get that out of the way right now. Todd is aghast. Well, I bet Tom English is aghast about this either. He's a White Sox guy. I mean, I'm I'm all for trying to find some more money for education, but what the hell are you making a deal with a team from another state and promoting them on your state when you, if only Illinois had uh, its own major league team to to promote and to partner with? Why the hell are they not sponsoring the same deal with the White Sox and the Cubs? You know, I understand Illinois is right next to St. Louis, and they have a lot of Cardinals fans down here. But who would you rather see your children affiliated with? Well, not the Cardinals. I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that right now. And, and I don't want to see more Cardinal license plates. Go. Well, don't you think the police are going to think it's a fake? You know, when they see the Illinois plate with the Cardinals logo around it, they're going to think, "What the hell is this? This can't be real." Not, not well, I got news for you. After Labor Day, it will be real. You, you can pay $69 or more for your own St. Louis Cardinals random license plate 
with the birds on the bat. Uh, good luck to you. Way to help Missouri. I'm sure they were giving some money to the Cardinals to use their logo. It's absolutely outrageous. It's it's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen this state do, and that's saying a lot. And or as a certain announcer that we all know and love might say, it's it seems unconceivable, right? Yeah. It is I, it is conceivable. I could not believe that when I saw that. Well, maybe, maybe Missouri's going to come out with a Cubs license plate. Yeah, I don't see that happening. <laughs> I don't see that it's happening. It was just a thought. How about a Royals license plate? No, that, there you go. How can you hate the Royals anyway? I mean, the, even when they were running World Series, you couldn't really hate them. They were just inoffensive. I mean, <laughs> Don Jenkinger. <laughs> Speaking of the White Sox, they have done something admirable and extending the netting uh, in their mm-hmm. stadium from foul pole to foul pole. Is that how they describe it? Yes. I think so. Yes, that is correct. So it goes all the way down. Um, how high are these nets? Can you, if 30 you, if, feet high but from my understanding. So if you're in the 10th row, you're still you're still looking at a pretty high it seems like a pretty slim chance that you would be endangered by a foul ball unless it was just one of those towering drives that hooks foul and all that. Am I the only person that doesn't think this is a good idea? Probably. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, Actually, Todd, you're not, but I think you're in the minority, but that's another story. Yeah, you know, 30, 30 feet may be, may be pretty pretty high because, I mean, the, the, the danger is to line drives flying into the stands. And, and I'm not sure that 30 years ago this was as necessary as it is now. But then people would go to baseball games to actually watch baseball. Uh, if, if you uh, you follow any random crowd shot at a game now, you're, you're apt to see just as many people texting or watching videos on their phone as, as you are actually engaged in the game. And I, I, at this point, I think it, I think it is actually a pretty good safety measure because. And what about what about stadiums? And I know Bush Stadium does this when I, when my day is covering the Cardinals for the Sports Exchange. You'd look at the scoreboard and you see this context encouraging fans to text. Oh. You know, you know, and that's just reality. If you're going to encourage fans to text while they're at a ball game, then you, in <coughs> turn, should try to provide them with the best possible protection. If it means extending your netting all the way down to the foul line, so be it, because there doesn't need to be a scene where Albert Almora Jr. is sobbing on a security guard's shoulder because he hit a fan of a line drive in Houston. There doesn't need to be a scene where Todd Frazier is openly distraught after hitting a fan of a line drive like he did at Yankee Stadium, I believe, last year. The The next fan that gets hit by a line drive is one fan too many. Right. You know, that's got to <clears throat> end, and Major League Baseball should make it mandatory. You know, it, it really, it, it really comes to me. It really, it really comes to life covering minors games because they have that, uh, they have that concession stand up there on the concourse. Right. And for whatever reason, to me, I don't know if it's anecdotal or I just imagine it, but it seems like the the most vi- most vicious foul line drives are hit to the right side, uh, probably because there's more right-handed batters than left-handed. Right. But I, I, some shots go up there that are just, I mean, they're scary. And uh, you know, and I'm not trying to cast any aspersions or any anything saying anything negative about the miners. It's just where I see it and where it happens. Uh, those balls come up there hot, and if, if you're not if you're not paying attention, you can get clocked and seriously hurt. And even if you are paying attention, the speed with which it comes off a bat, it can still overwhelm you. I saw a ball last night. Now that you mentioned it, a line drive probably hit about one seat to the left of a child. 
and there was no way that child was going to be able to recognize it that quickly to be able to defend right. him or herself uh, on that one. Or a senior citizen, or, or somebody who's right. just, or somebody who's just not real athletic. I mean, you know, maybe in my heyday, you know, I may have been quick enough to get my uh, hands up to protect myself, but I wouldn't bet on it anymore. My uh, <clears throat> Sarah took pay, uh, my my youngest daughter, who was seven, to a minors game uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, she was playing on the berm with some of her friends. One of the balls came towards that then at a lot high rate of speed, and, and Sarah wasn't that far from her. And they both yelled, "Hey, look out!" And you know, my youngest just just kind of just kind of stood there and and heard her and didn't move, and the ball went right over her head. Mm. And uh, so I, I understand you want to extend the netting. I just don't. I'm not sure you need to extend it all the way to the other foul pole. I mean, I think if you definitely go past third base, go past first base. But if you're going all the way, I mean, I guess if you're going to do it, you may as well go do it all the way if you're going to do it that far. But I also think fans have to take some responsibility to pay attention to the game and and pay attention to their kids, pay attention to what's going on. Because uh, that is a risk when you go to baseball. It's the same risk you have at your, if you're at the uh, snack bar at the minors. You know, unfortunately, it's a great place you can see the action from the snack bar, but there are balls that come back there because one of the snack bars is way off of behind first first base, and there are balls that are go out there. You know, but you know, but when I when you know you look at it when you're when you go when you go to a game, uh, a high school game or a college game or whatever. Everybody wants to crowd around home plate because that's the best, and you're looking through the net all the time. I mean, I, you know, it, it, it may be bothersome at first, but I, I, I'm assuming it's going to be something you're going to get used to, accustomed to pretty quickly. So, and I, I think the safety concerns just over override everything there. Yeah, I've, I've seen fans get hit at these games before. I saw one get hit in the eye a few years ago at a minors game. It's just, it's just it, to me, it's just common sense to try to provide protection if at all possible. So. I I just don't see how you don't do it and not be willing to live with the consequences if somebody does get drilled. And you know, and, and it is I think to you mentioned Almora a while ago. I I think it is to the uh, it it speaks well about players who when that does happen, you can see how personally they take it. Yeah. I mean, you know, you sir, obviously it's an accident. You have no control over it whatsoever. But at the same time, if I mean, if if you thought somebody was hurt. After you know, after something you did, you you know, most human beings would really take that seriously, and I, I have been gratified uh, uh, to see how how players do react to that. So, and you know that that's also one less thing that they have to worry about too. And more and more parks are doing it. Uh, there are probably more that do it next year. Um, so we'll uh, you know, so what, keep your eyes open out there. But they are they are trying to take it into their own hands and, to some you know, degree. And, and I think if if the Cubs and the White Sox do it, they should probably put St. Louis Cardinals banners up on that netting. <laughs> Maybe in the form of yeah. license plate. <laughs> form of license plate, yeah. Or, or make make applications available there. <laughs> well, that would be fantastic. Almost almost as fantastic as Sam Coonrod has been for the San Francisco right. Giants. Former Saluki starter, uh, Carrollton native, uh, Dan Callahan's final recruit for SIU. Uh, before he passed away, the uh, the right hander threw another scoreless inning. Uh, last night against Philadelphia, he's one and zero with a one point zero ERA in nine games. Um, sounds he looks like a keeper. I mean, the only run he gave up has been a home run in nine uh, nine innings. Um, 
I, I don't see – I don't know if he's going to be able to be a starter someday, but he's being a great uh, middle to late reliever for and them. A, and with the trade, the couple of trades they made at the deadline where they shipped Mark Melanson to the Braves and Sam Dyson to the Twins, it kind of sounds like Coonrod is pitching his way into more high-leverage situations too because, remember, they're still – on the fringy part of a wild card race in the National League, they kept yeah. most of their guys, and they <laughs> traded for Scooter Jeanette. He could be part of a team fighting for a playoff spot in September. Yeah, and and there's there's just something I don't know inherently gratifying to me anyway about seeing a seeing a like a, a familiar face, let's say, in the major leagues. I mean, I, I enjoy watching Paul DeYoung play every night simply because I had a chance to watch him cover him play when he played for uh, Illinois State. State. And then, you know, see a Saluki in there. There's always, if, if you're an SIU alum, I mean, it, it just feels good, to, you know, to have that have that connection with the major leagues. So it's, it, it is always, I just love the local connections. And, you know, Tanner Roark pitched for the minors. I saw him pitch for the minors. I mean, it's always fun to watch the games when, when people like that are playing. And I, I think that's one of the things that helps keep major league, the interest in major league baseball alive is, so many people can have local connections because the rosters are so big and there's so many teams. And did you hear the story about Tanner Roark's recent trade to the A's? He got traded or informed of the trade while he was in a drive through at an Arby's oh. in Cincinnati. <laughs> I was trying to say, was it Taco Bell or Arby's? He it was, was Arby's because he was, he was betting he on being traded. It was, a, it was a getaway day. They're going to Atlanta. And he was betting on being traded so he did not fly with a team to Atlanta after their game on Wednesday. He figured, well, if I don't get traded, I'll just catch a later flight or something and go down Thursday morning. Well, sure enough, he's in the drive-thru going to eat dinner, and they say, hey, you've been traded to the A's. So he went right back to the ballpark, boxed up his stuff, and flew across the country, across the country to Oakland. He might face the Cardinals this weekend. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He's getting major league meal money, and he's eating at Arby's? Hey, somebody's got to talk to that. <laughs> that was his own dime. Hey, hey, hey! If you, if you love your roast beef and cheddar, there's only there's one one good place he to make it. He hasn't forgotten all those years where he probably ate roast, Arby's roast beef and cheddar on the road on the buses and the mines, man. Give him yeah. credit for, for remembering his roots, right? Yeah, it's, I think Even that's if he's hilarious. Major league coin. Yeah. Just turn around, so I'll just go back home and pack up and send me on a plane and. I, I just wish I would have seen the look on his face. I was like, oh, Oakland. Huh? You, well, you got to see how in the car with him, was he? <laughs> Puig was already so. throwing fists in Cleveland by that go. time, I'm sure. <laughs> well, the, keep uh, keep uh, out of the hot weather and uh, enjoy the weekend coming up. Um, I, I sense Todd feels he's lost control. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, we, just we trying have, to wrap we, it up with a bow. There really is no bow for this. Uh, uh, we, this we have taken we this thing today. way off the tracks. Haven't <laughs> <we>? <laughs> it's been fun, though. It's been fun to get back at it. Uh, it, it we're trying to we're trying to do these every um, put them on the website every Wednesday. Uh, today it'll be Friday, but uh, once we get uh, into more regular schedules, it will be every Wednesday. But you can find us at thesouthern.com. Uh, to subscribe to the Southern Illinoisan, call 618-529-5454, and uh, we will join. see you next week. Thanks for joining us.